I want to start this episode out with an apology. And I feel like during the month of June, I should have finished up this episode. An episode that talks about the first 20 years or so of the 20th century where there were a lot of different changes in vehicles. But I couldn't get it done because I discovered I was wrong about something. I was wrong about something and had been wrong about it for many years. And it's no wonder why I was wrong. When I was in elementary school, the teachers all told me that Henry Ford invented the car. and That wasn't anything close to the truth. Not even Alexander Winton, who I later discovered, or Gottlieb Daimler, or his partner uh, Wilhelm Maybach out of uh, Germany. They didn't invent the, the car like I had discovered from Encyclopedia Britannica at one time. No, it wasn't even their teacher. It wasn't even Daimler's teacher, Nikolaus Otto, who invented the gasoline engine that invented the car. The, the 19th century isn't even a time when the, the first vehicle that powered itself under its own motor and not, say, from an animal or a human being. That was designed in 1769 by an individual named Cugnot. I believe his name is Louis Cugnot. I may have that wrong. I also may be pronouncing it wrong. You'll have to understand I come from a very limited set of language skills. Most of the stuff I know I have learned on my own. I hate to say it, but the important fundamentals, the foundation was critical thinking, which was taught to me in uh, higher education and post-secondary school and graduate school. But the language skills that I was born with were very limited. So if I mispronounce something like Cugnot or his machine, the Fardier, I think that's how it's pronounced, please t accept my apologies for being someone who is not impeccable with the word. And I want to be impeccable with the word because when I saw this machine operate for the first time, and yes, I saw it operate on a YouTube video, uh, but I saw this machine operate via the Tampa Bay Auto Museum who rebuilt a replica of the, the vehicle. And I want to describe what I saw, but it's not, it's not an easy task to describe what I saw. The, the machine was a very large machine. It was probably the size of a small uh, semi-truck that you see today, like a garbage truck or something, like a box truck. It was that big, but it was made completely out of wood. The wheels looked like wagon wheels, but they were huge, thick, maybe 10-inch thick uh, wheels with spokes that were probably two or three, maybe four inches thick themselves. There were four wheels, and out front of the driver, who in the video was dressed up in costume of period dress, you know, with the tri-pointed cap and the coat tails and the long tights on his legs very very neat little detail they filled in there but the operator was working this machine out in front of him out in front of this vehicle and he was work this little rod and back and forth as it moved it would make a hissing noise and move it forward and it would hiss then after a little bit there would be a large knock and then another hiss a knock a clap and a hiss 
knock, clap, hiss. And it did that. As it did that, it moved along at about brisk walking speed. But it also did it in this big cloud of steam. It was a steam engine that moved along on the ground like you would imagine a steam tractor. You know, tractors gain traction for things. And I imagine it would first be used for the application of farming, say for, you know, plowing or hauling something in from the field. So what I'm, what I'm seeing at that time was a huge vehicle moving amongst a crowd of onlookers and it was motivated by steam. And if you could imagine the first people to have seen this machine, you could imagine and the anticipation they had for all the new developments that would come out. But I think that would more, more closely be classified as a vehicle since it did move independently of the long rails and, and ties that a railroad uh, would eventually be known for you know not until the about 40 years later around 1805 did they place this kind of steam engine on top of rails and tie it together with logs and call it a railroad call it a train a train because it pulled a long stretch of wagons behind it but it could only be limited by the level uh, rails this vehicle, the Cugno, it didn't have rails. It could move along on the ground. It wasn't very powerful. It had too much resistance from the ground. So the power that the steam engine had, although the pressure was enough to haul goods, it could only move very slowly. It would take a long time. So it may not compare to the modern vehicle, but it compares just as equally to what we have traditionally been told was a, a vehicle. You know, Jacob Leopold is the one that invented the steam engine, 17... 2021, 20, something like that. Uh, and when Kugno comes along and places that steam engine on the front side of a, a wagon with large wheels, and, you know, on the video they depict them hauling some kind of, you know, bourbon or something like that, but that, that's not what it would have been used for. There's no way it would have been used to haul some something like that. Daimler's vehicle, the, the, the first... Uh, truck later on in the late 19th century. Yeah, it was the first truck that uh, we would say is a truck because it was custom built for a brewery to carry their products from the production facility to the market. That's a truck. But I would probably call or classify Kugno's machine a steam tractor. And that's what I was researching. The steam wagon, in fact. A steam tractor would be something we would envision was used on a farm, but a steam wagon was used to haul uh, goods from, say, a factory in industrial Britain. And that's where they were mostly used. Most of those steam wagons were used in Great Britain. And the majority of the motoring in those days was done by, in the 1850s at least, the mid-19th century, was done by steam wagon and also by steam engine on a rail, uh, the railroad. So you would have to haul, steam wagons would haul heavy goods down to the steam engine yard, the rail yard, or to some kind of port where they had adapted the steam engine for navigation on oceans. Uh, but that's what, what we did. We used steam wagons. And while we continued to use steam wagons, and it was for a very limited scope, the scale was just not comparable to the, 
the good old-fashioned horse-drawn carriage or the Conestoga wagon. Those things, the wagons and carriage, had were used all the way up until the turn of the 20th century. And the steam wagon gained popularity until about the 1904-1906 era. Uh, and at that point, it began to decline and eventually disappearing by the 1930s when diesel came about. But while we were motoring around with steam wagons, hauling most of our freight on trains and doing a lot of delivery with wagons and carriages, there were other developers out there trying to build up a new industry. Nicholas Otto, we mentioned, and his gasoline engine, and Gottlieb Daimler. A little known fact about Daimler is that during his creation of the first motorized bicycle, motorcycle, or the first motorized vehicle, uh, I believe that would have been more of a tricycle, the first vehicle that he made. Uh, I may be wrong. He may have put four uh, wheels on his first passenger vehicle. But his truck, his, his first truck was used to haul goods. It wasn't a commercially available vehicle, so not just anybody could get one. Someone had to hire Daimler to build something that he could, they could haul uh, products to market with. But Daimler is an interesting character because during that time, all of these new vehicles being tested on the old wagon road trails, governments started to get concerned. They got concerned that maybe operators needed to be somehow approved by the government. And Daimler, in fact, was the very first person to have license by the German government, the first person in the world to be a licensed vehicle driver. And because he technically made the first, uh, you know, truck, I guess we could call him the first licensed truck driver. And his vehicle would inspire the auto car brand, which we have already talked about was a delivery vehicle. You know, that would carry less than three or four tons. In fact, in the 1890s, 1899, when auto car came out, most of the haul for freight was done by a steam wagon. But there were some other brands that would, would come about within the next five or so years. There were uh, companies like Knox that did heavy haul, uh, the you know just like the steam wagons, but were powered by uh, gasoline. And there were several civil duty vehicles, like Cadillac, for instance, or Marion. Uh, you may remember the vehicle brand Marion, or uh, there were uh, vehicles like Pierce, Arrow, things like that. They did a lot of civil duties, paddy wagons, ambulances, things of this nature. Little side note, people do believe for some reason that ambulance wasn't invented until around the 1950s and even as late as the 1970s, and that is just absolutely incorrect. They used air ambulance all the way back until uh, the, the uh, early 19th century. In, flat, in fact, if you ever heard of Sarah Winchester, she was the uh, uh, descendant, I guess. She was the daughter of a very powerful ambulance uh, carriage uh, manufacturer. And they had ambulances uh, in, in many of the cities across the world in the late 1800s and the early 1900s when places like Pierce and Arrow and, uh, and Cadillac began to, to make them. You know, not only civil duty was done, of course, besides passenger vehicles and buses, they also did things 
uh, like delivery vehicles. And the brands that were available at the time uh, for, for delivery would include, of course, Oldsmobile, Packard, Rapid Motor Vehicle, and a company called REO, which actually used electric motors for their vehicles to do their delivery. They were known for delivering milk, in fact, and there were a few others. But around about 1908, there was a call in the automobile trade journals for commercial vehicles to do work, for machines to do work, and that there needed to be some kind of economic benefit from these trucks, these commercial vehicles. You know, there were some, some different technologies that needed to come out to make this possible. Vehicles needed heavier axles if they were going to he carry heavier loads. And if they're carrying heavier loads, then they needed larger tires. That way they could make it over certain bumps in the road, if you will. If they're coming down a hill, they need larger brakes. They needed the vehicle to be able to stop so it wouldn't crash through crowds with, you know, household goods or uh, their delivery of the mail between towns. In fact, if they're going between towns, they might break down on the side of the road somewhere, and, and the operator of that vehicle would need to be able to access the motor. And the best way to do that is to have some way to access it if the engine was out in front of the vehicle. So there needed to be some kind of hood um, for them to access. The, the kinds of repairs that needed to be done on these vehicles, the things that would be broken uh, or expected to break on a short trip between towns, it needed to be something that was foolproof, something anybody could understand. And the operation of the vehicle itself needed to be foolproof. You had to be able to steer it easily without some kind of complicated thinking. And there, hadn't, there didn't need to be somebody sitting there working some kind of rod or watching some kind of steam gauge like the big steam wagon drivers had to do. And if you're way out in the middle of nowhere and you wanted to get over some kind of obstacle, you needed to be able to engage all four wheels. I believe it was Monarch. They, they were FWD brand. I'm not sure. Uh, FWD was known to, to be able to engage all four wheels, and they brought in that technology for, for new tasks that these trucks would do. These trucks now were able to move, like I said. You no longer had to strap everything to a wagon and horse draw it between Washington, D.C. and New York if you were all of a sudden voted out of office as a senator. In these days, around the 1908, 1909, 1910 time, you could hire somebody who had a gasoline-operated truck to load your stuff up on their truck and haul that for you. So you could move household goods at the time. The, the civil tasks expanded into trucks that carried asphalt. Pierce Arrow had civil duty asphalt carriers or Knox Martin and their heavy haul ability to, to haul heavy goods between uh, towns. They were used in the raw material area. So in the mining operations, they'd load up some wagons with raw materials and Knox truck would take it out over a, a uh, 
you know, over to where the dump site was, and they had a trailer that they could actually dump off the side of the trailer with this thing. So Knox Martin continued the heavy haul, heavy high side dump, raw material hauling process, and they could do things like haul lumber in a in a white truck. There's a trucking company called White Automotive. I, I like to call it White Automotive, but it's really White Trucking, and uh, they were a very big part of the trucking. Uh, history, and I'll talk much about them in the coming episodes, but they were used for hauling lumber at one time because they were able to pull big loads. But then there was some a new technology as well. Store owners decided that, hey, you know, I want a piece of the trucking accent, action. I want to be able to put my big retail store on the back of a truck. Some restaurant owners would develop some of the first food trucks around 1914 or so. And then 1916 hit us. Early in January of 1916, there was an individual named Pancho Villa who, in retaliation for America's support of the Mexican government during his revolution, had decided to raid, cross the American border and raid a train, rob a train, pull its American passengers off and brutally slaughter them. Later on, in order to procure supplies, probably, but also in retaliation for America's support of his enemies, Pancho Villa crossed the borders once again into Columbus, New Mexico, brutally raiding that town. What Pancho Villa had not anticipated was General Pershing's knowledge of motorized vehicles. So when Pancho Villa retreated into Mexico, he couldn't have possibly expected that the U.S. military would jump aboard a bunch of trucks and pursue him 400 miles deep into Chihuahua, Mexico in a punitive campaign, a punitive expedition for his raids against the American people. It would signify the first time that America used military vehicles in combat. And later, when the League of Nations called on America to join the World War I in April of that same year, trucks came along with them. Those trucks would soon be equipped with newly adapted truck-grade, commercial-grade, military-grade pneumatic tires. Those pneumatic tires would make the vehicles faster because they were lighter and you could easily repair and maintain a pneumatic tire versus their old, and Europeans were using hard cord tires for their heavy trucks. So the pneumatic tire, it wasn't easy to puncture it with a machine gun. They tried that in tests. Um, but it made America's military able to get places swiftly, faster and more efficient. And that's what happened when these military drivers would come home. They would translate their military school skills to commercial applications and were able to project our economic strength by becoming truck drivers. And there melded together a strong culture of military veterans joining the fleets of commercial vehicles out there. And they go hand in hand, don't they? But what do I know? I'm just a truck driver myself.
Hey, so it's very important to recognize the people over there at Tampa Bay Auto Museum. Without them, I wouldn't have been able to figure out what I was doing wrong and be able to make this episode. So special thanks to those individuals and the individuals that built the replica for the Cugno, uh Fartier. Um, of course, I'm always very appreciative of people who have served in the military, especially truck drivers from the military. They supply people. They're very integral to being able to uh, exert our strength around the world. And when they come home from war, they go from extreme action to the low, doly, dull hum of an engine on a desolate highway somewhere. And it takes a lot of strength to do that and so special thanks to our soldiers but also there are many other sources that I use for this and I want to share that with you I will do my best to try to post something on the LarryCoons.com website uh, but they're always available upon request please correct me with anything special thanks to you as a listener without you it doesn't make sense for me to do this sort of thing I certainly do want to get some feedback from anybody who's out there so whack the uh, subscribe you know, click on the like button, something like that. Help me get this out there. And um, that way I can map out maybe one day uh, a history book related to trucking uh, by doing this podcast. Uh, so special thanks to you. And I want you all to go out there and drive safely. Just remember that it doesn't matter how close you get to the guy or girl in front of you. You can't drive their car or truck for them. So just lay off, lay back, drive it slow. No need to hammer down, just get there safely, drive safe.